0: Hello and welcome to Contagious Thinking, the podcast from the MRC, University of Glasgow Centre for Virus Research. I'm Connor Bamford, an ex-postdoc in the Centre, but still your host for this episode. Today we'll be speaking with Dr. Rachel Ulfertz from the Francis Crick Institute in London after she came to Glasgow recently to present her fascinating work. Dr. Ulfertz is currently a postdoc in the lab of Rupert Bale at the Crick, where she works on influenza virus and cell process known as autophagy. Previously, Rachel worked on a number of RNA viruses like coronaviruses or coronaviruses in labs across Europe, including Northern Ireland and the Netherlands, before coming back to the UK to work at the University of Cambridge and then on to London. In this episode, I talked with Rachel about her work on autophagy, her interest in fundamental virology and her exciting plans for the future. I'm Connor Bamford, I'm a postdoc in the lab of John McLaughlin here, working on hepatitis C virus and interferons. Well,
1: and I'm Rachel Olfertz. Uh, I currently work at the Crick Institute in the lab of Rupert Beale, so uh, based in, well, Crick Institute based in London.
0: Okay, so maybe you can tell us how you got to this position. So where were you born and where did you do your PhD?
1: Well, so I was born and grew up in Germany. Um, Yeah, and I always think it's it's actually a bit of a coincidence or took a coincidence uh, for me to get into science. So... Well at or at um at school I was pursuing my A levels in chemistry and um we could sort of suggest other areas to look at and somebody else in the class had suggested well maybe we could learn something about biochemistry and that was actually something that I'd never heard about
0: okay
1: and I just remember being completely amazed by it so just that wow enzymes you can look at this you can figure out how the chemistry of these enzymes works in so much detail and I always wonder what I would have done if well peter hadn't suggested this subject but yeah it really put me on this path really just month before I finished school
0: okay that's really interesting because most people come into biology from the other end from animals and ecology and being out in nature but you came into it from the I guess the complete opposite.
1: Um, yeah, I suppose I did. I think I must have, in a way, naturally gravitated towards it, mm-hmm. but, um, I did also do A levels in biology and I'm not, ca- could not explain to you why I did that. Right. Because I remember that the middle school biology, I had no idea what, why we were studying it, mm-hmm. uh, why we were learning these things. I did not find it particularly interesting.
0: Right. Okay. Okay, so you're interested in biochemistry. And yeah. Did you go do biochemistry at university?
1: Um, so I ended up studying well, there um, at the University of Greifswald. Um, so where, where in a,
0: Germany this? I don't know my German geography. Oh, right.
1: right. So this is actually the very um, northeast corner of okay. Germany. Um, I studied a subject that, well, was at that point called human biology. Um. At that point, there were only two universities offering this. Those of Marburg and uh, Greifswald. And, well, nowadays, I assume, well, you would refer to it as a biomedicine and it has become mm-hmm. sort of quite a popular course. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of universities offer it.
0: Because okay, so this was all human biology, you didn't look outside.
1: Um, at that point, it was. And, well, it was based on sort of when I was looking at potential biochemistry, um, studying biochemistry, I looked at different universities. And um, well, I just by chance ended up learning about this human biology and um, well, tried to find out a bit more and what the differences were. So I (laughs) don't know where I got the courage. I just picked up the phone Um, and called the number for the professor of biochemistry at the university in Greifswald and asked, so what are the differences actually? What would I do? And he said, well, yeah, so if you ended up studying biochemistry, then um, you might be studying the biochemistry of bacteria, but Mm -hmm. we'll focus on humans. And at that point... Well, because I suppose it was humans are much more familiar to yeah, me yeah. than course, yeah. the bacteria are. I ended up thinking, mm. well, this sounds like this is more something that I would like to do. Okay. In addition to a lot of sort of how the course was structured, how it was set up mm-hmm. and those kind of things.
0: So then you're here today giving a talk um, in a center for virology. Yes. So then how did you get into viruses?
1: Well, actually, um, the University of Greifswald always uh, sort of considers itself as uh, the center of where virology as a subject was actually discovered. I think the Russians with tobacco mosaic virus would sort of dispute that, and it was certainly discovered (laughs) beforehand. But this was where Friedrich Loeffler discovered food and mouth disease virus.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So... (laughs) It was destined.
1: That was, exactly. And there's the um, Federal Research Institute, uh, which was founded sort of after, after Friedrich Loeffler's work. Oh, okay. So it was very much a strong focus um, mm-hmm. there.
0: Did you get any experience in virology during your undergrad?
1: Um, so, well, at that point I was doing, Or um, in Germany it was a five-year degree mm-hmm. that you ended the last year with the... Um, well, which is sort of close to a master thesis project Mm -hmm. that you do in the last year. And uh, for that, I had chosen a virology project. So also one of my focus subjects then became virology.
0: Okay. And what what kind of project was that?
1: Um, That at that point was based on adenoviruses Um, and looking at (coughs) what is, well, maybe the... Somewhat grandiose no with one somewhat grandiose name, uh the adenovirus death protein oh, right.
0: um,
1: <laughs> well, we like big cool. names, yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, grab cool. people's attention yeah, yeah um so and this was a factor of very small protein that was largely unstudied, but that seemed to be important for well basically killing the cell and um then releasing the virus particles Um, and this was trying to figure out the mechanism based on uh, yeast to hybrid screen interact potentially interacting proteins that a previous phd student had identified
0: okay um so you continued on your virology in phd
1: yeah and at that point i um focused more on that so when back to focusing more on the biochemistry mm-hmm. um, i ended up working on coronaviruses um, so very large rna viruses that for rna viruses have some very unique features which mm-hmm. includes some processing enzymes that you wouldn't find otherwise and sort of those were those that are focused on
0: is this rna processing yeah or... so oh,
1: okay um, it's so-called ribonucleases so mm-hmm. proteins that digest rna which, um, for an RNA virus, uh, are quite unusual. So, um,
0: yeah, it might be quite, you know, worrying for an RNA virus to have that. Okay. <laughs> exactly. So, and so what virus was this on? Was this?
1: This was, well, coronaviruses. So, mm-hmm. um, SARS coronavirus. Um, and then we ended up just by chance also working on a related fish virus. So that was...
0: So, but all coronavirus, yes. isn't it? Okay. And um, so what did you find?
1: Um, so at that point, it was very much the biochemistry. And we found that um, these qu- this quite unusual protein, the uh, so-called endoribonuclease, um, actually biochemically is very similar to, or the way it works, to the so-called RNase A. Mm-hmm. Um, while not being at all related to this. So it's not like the virus at some point picked up something like RNAs A. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um so
0: convergently evolved. Exactly. So why would a virus need an RNAs A-like enzyme?
1: Um, so in this case, in this endoribonuclease, <laughs> this seems to be somehow related to um, degrading RNA to protect um the cell from detecting these RNAs. Okay. Um, so it's probably extra products. That's those that part not entirely worked oh, out. So but You get an, an interferon response basically if you if take you, this out. Yeah.
0: Ah, right. And it doesn't target host RNAs or is it just viral RNAs?
1: Um I don't know. I'm not sure if somebody's looked at this at this point.
0: Okay, cool. Um so you did you continue on virology in your Yes. Okay, so, so you've become
1: hooked at this point? You're all... I, well, definitely become, became hooked on viruses, but mm-hmm. at the same time, and as I said, I'd worked or, or gravitated more towards a biochemistry mm-hmm. subject by, or a base project. But at the same time, um, I then found that, well, I found it very hard to, yes, translate that into what was going on in the cell um and i thought well this is something i would really like to learn more about of how to do this um okay. how, how does a virus actually sort of use the cell and change the cell for its own benefits okay yeah and not just have this enzyme in isolation
0: mm-hmm. in a tube exactly. in, a, in a lab so You didn't stay on for coronaviruses, or was it...
1: No, this was then based on uh, picornaviruses, so enteroviruses. So so where did you do your PhD? um, The PhD, well, so originally I started in Germany, in Würzburg. um, And then, as happens so often uh, in this type of career, Mm -hmm. the whole group moved, and we moved to Belfast, uh, where I then finished my PhD.
0: Okay, and then so where did you go to for your... Your postdoc, I guess? Yes, for the postdoc,
1: I then moved to the Netherlands.
0: Okay, so you've moved around quite a bit. Yes,
1: quite a bit. But it's one of the fun parts of, well, or if it becomes something (coughs) that you sort of have to do, I figure you might as well make the most of it and it gives you the chance to learn about cultures. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, So then your PhD was with. Who was your PhD with? The Instead PhD
1: of... was with John Sebor.
0: Okay, and then your postdoc was
1: was then with Frank Van Kuppelfeld.
0: Okay, so what? Ca- so this is more host cell biology or host interactions? Or,
1: um, yeah. So at that point, um, well, originally I was uh, very much interested in what all these vi- plus strand RNAs, in particular, do is change membrane compartments in the cell um, and. If you look at them in an EM image, um, that's really quite striking, so Mm -hmm. in electron microscopy. Um, And, well, that was sort of the part that I started with, but, well, through a lot of um, circumstances and what other projects were going on in the lab, um, I ended up looking more at... um, antiviral so targeting antiviral or uh, using so like antivirals a, a drug? drugs okay. exactly um that had been identified and then working out how these actually work at, at um, a biochemical
0: level or more of a um virus? so this
1: was then again try more trying within the cell and mm-hmm. well biochemistry and carbura- collaboration yes
0: okay um and then you must have moved to flu at some point yes so this in the intervening years
1: um, so yes, I then took on my second postdoc um, in, at that point, the University of Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, there it was now finally getting to, well, the part of membrane rearrangements within the cell and how does the cell actually react to this, which is what I'm working on now.
0: Okay. So did you take that interest with you or is just by chance you had an interest in it?
1: Um, well, I would say it's a combination of both. So it was definitely all the things that I'd learned about the membrane trafficking pathways in the cell, um, that raised my interest to this project, um, that now it's sort of come full circle into um how the cell reacts to this i suppose it's poor by chance because that's how okay. the project evolved yeah
0: evolve. okay so this is on influenza virus yes so, so why do you think it's important that we should continue to study influenza virus that's a tough question <laughs> sorry
1: <laughs> well maybe not necessarily a tough question There's but obviously everybody case. has their favorite virus mm-hmm. that they're pushing um
0: And is flu your favorite virus?
1: I couldn't necessarily say that I have a favorite virus. I think that's why. So I think there's a lot of viruses that deserve to be studied. There's a lot that they can teach us. They are um, excellent tools um, to instruct us about things that are going on in the cell. And Mm -hmm. I think that's sort of the part that um, has always attracted me to viruses mostly. Mm -hmm. And then how they manage to... um, well, get around what sure. the cell throws at them.
0: So then how did this then take you to flu? Or sort of what's special about flu and membrane and rearrangements?
1: Um, so what is special about flu at this point, what I'm looking at is um, it's well a mechanism that induces um, what originally people thought is autophagy. Mm. Um autophagy is a mechanism that was originally described well largely in, and worked out in yeast uh where it's important for in times of starvation. Mm-hmm. Um so autophagy literally means self-eating. It's if the cell is um well devoid of nutrients, then it will start to chew up anything that it doesn't necessarily need just okay. to survive. Now You can also use that to chew up anything else that's big in the cell that's Mm -hmm. maybe in the way to degrade, which you couldn't otherwise degrade. So people started looking at this in viruses because, Mm -hmm. well, you have viruses sometimes in the cell, these could be detected, bacteria, maybe as another example.
0: Is this like the host cell eating the infection? Yes, that's that's
1: more or less the idea. I mean, obviously, at the same time, because as I said, (laughs) viruses usually find a way around this or find a way of using any mechanism that the cell has Mm -hmm. for their own good. You'll always find examples. Um, You then also find that some viruses, or the idea is that maybe some viruses could actively induce this mechanism um to then basically generate nutrients and then improve mm-hmm. sort of
0: the... So I guess how, how does the virus um target it? If it's all in the host cell together, how does it target it? Only degrade this and only and keep me so why doesn't it degrade itself?
1: Um well that would depend on sort of where you um basically where you activate this mechanism okay. um, in in one sense. So um, you would have to, um, so we now know that um, a lot of times it's not just, this mechanism is not just degrading anything um, that comes in its way, but um, in those cases it would be selective. Um, so then you have, well, so-called receptors that would detect that there is some sort of aggregate, something that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, then viruses would have evolved mechanisms to um, protect themselves from these
0: okay.
1: sort of being detected as an aggregate. Um, at the same time, uh, well, viruses could also actively induce this process and have it more directed towards sort of other parts of the cell. Um, I suppose, though, what then comes in is that we've now learned that in a lot of these cases, maybe it isn't actually classical autophagy that we're looking at, Okay, Um, so so... it becomes a lot more complicated.
0: Yeah, you've just made it a whole whole other step more complicated. (laughs) So how do you know if it's autophagy or not?
1: All right, so that's um, sort of one of the points that I'm really trying to push with my research is, um, well, what people have done so far is use <coughs> one of those um, genes in the autophagy cascade. Mm-hmm. It's a protein called LC3, commonly used. Mm-hmm. It becomes lipidated and then membrane-associated. Mm-hmm. And the idea is it's then on autophagosomes okay so you just um, so, so you
0: look for the lipidation or you look for where um, you can either look is?
1: for the lipidation or you can see that otherwise it would be cytoplasmic and then it's now in sort of punctate okay. structures. and usually people use a tag to a fluorescent protein okay. so egfp and you'll see the relocalization and if you see
0: this, this is what people said this is autophagy exactly okay.
1: um but um if you really want to see whether it's autophagosomes, you then have to turn to electron microscopy.
0: Oh, okay, so what's the
1: and uh, electron microscopy or so autophagosomes? One of the striking features is um, that um, you get two very tightly opposed membranes, and mm-hmm. this is really sort of the defining feature of an autophagosome, um, and you can. And if you now look in, well, as we did in the flu-infected cell, you suddenly realized, well, actually, I'm not seeing a whole lot of those structures. But you are. But there are other structures.
0: See, but you see the LC3 lipidation and LC3 puncta. Exactly. Punctu- and I, you okay. see the
1: puncta. And previously, people have always assumed, well, if I look at LC3 <coughs> puncta, then I'm looking at autophagosomes.
0: Oh, okay. So then what do you see in the...
1: So what I'm seeing is... Um, largely that it's probably so it's um, actually single membrane structures mm-hmm. um and they are probably
0: endosomes okay so there's lots of endosomes
1: um well lots of endosomes i'm not necessarily saying there's more of them but okay. these are the ones that uh, become lc3 associated
0: uh, right okay and i guess endosomes are needed for a lot of things
1: um, well, they're um, leaded for a lot of things, but in this case, um, we think this is actually where a mechanism where the cell detects that there is something wrong with this endosome. So oh, okay. um, because it's been known for a while that it's the one of the influenza proteins, the M2, which mm-hmm. is a small proton channel. Um, and if you have that in the cell, then um, you'll get this LC3 relocalization and lipidation.
0: Okay. So I guess it was thought before that M2, that M2 triggers autophagy.
1: So the idea was previously that M2 triggers autophagy uh, potentially or mainly that these autophagosomes accumulate because, well, autophagosomes to degrade the content would then fuse with lysosomes. Um, So the idea was that it blocks um, the fusion of the lysosome with the...
0: Okay, so it's like a half autophagy. It's not full autophagy. That
1: was the idea originally. Yeah. But um, So in this case, I still don't see any um, fusion with lysosomes um, or progression towards lysosomes Mm -hmm. or degradation of the content. Um, but in this case, I mainly see, or I do see, these single membrane vesicles that are targeted with LC3.
0: Okay. So, and where does the M2 protein come into it with these? It's targeted to these same thing.
1: Um, so we think that they are that M2, for some reason, ends up in these endosomes. M2, as I said, is a proton channel, so endosomes um, are somewhat more acidic than Mm. the surrounding cytoplasm, and this would then, the proton channel would then act to bleed out the um, protons. So now you have a vesicle that the cell thinks should be acidic, but it's no longer acidic, so Mm -hmm. something that I like to refer to as it's now erroneous and neutral. So neutral where the cell would actually expect it to be acidic.
0: Okay, so how does a cell know that an endosome is acidic?
1: That is one of the big questions we're trying <laughs> yeah. to
0: find okay. out.
1: Um, and so far, I don't have an answer to that yet.
0: Right. Um,
1: um, I, it's also not entirely clear why an endosome needs to be acidic. So that goes back to what I said right. at the beginning. Viruses can instruct and yeah. teach us a lot about cellular mechanisms,
0: yeah, especially when it's so surprising as what exactly. what you say, yeah. Uh, so then, what happens if you target the channel with uh, a drug? Can you t- can you target the M two yes. with a drug?
1: So you can target um, this protein with a drug called amantadine, mm-hmm. at least in some uh, of these M two and some influenza virus strains, and then you see that there. Uh, that you don't have the deacidification, and then you also don't get the um, LC3 targeted to these vesicles.
0: Okay, so then is this a is this an antiviral mechanism, or does the virus want these endosomes, or is it? Or are you witnessing a a fight between the the two?
1: Um, so at this point, we don't entirely know. Um, it does seem to be somehow at least there's a lot of evidence that this could be related to some innate immune mm-hmm. mechanism mm-hmm. but also there's a lot of uh, evidence that um, these st- structures might actually be important for immune modulation. Mm-hmm. So it could actually be either it is that for some reason M2 is needs to be in this vesicles and then the cell detects this effect, um, mm-hmm. which the virus doesn't want. It has then maybe evolved a mechanism to get around that. But the alternative would also be that the virus actually targets M2 to this vesicle specifically to induce this mechanism, mm-hmm. and then induce some sort of immune modulatory mechanism.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So what? What about other viruses that encode? Uh Proton channels. channels. Yeah,
1: print, yeah. Um, so, so far, um, we don't know that it's definitely happening in other viruses, mm-hmm. but I would expect that um, other viruses also target this mechanism.
0: Yeah, okay. So I guess it's important to study this just for the sake of science, but also as a way to, you know, if you find these things that the virus really needs, it might be a good way to target them an antiviral, or...?
1: Um, That would be more if this then becomes really something that's involved in sort of the immune modulation. Mm -hmm. So in cell culture in itself, we don't really see a strong effect on um, virus replication so far. But if it's really an immune modulatory mechanism, then we might actually have to take this uh, into an animal model to then show this where you sort of have a more complex system Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. but do you see things like interference coming up or or any hint um
1: so in the cells that we are working with um not but Mm -hmm. um that might be a lot to do with what kind of cells we're using so Mm -hmm. that's also one of the plans for the futures to look at this in other cell types that might be more um have more of an immunological phenotype
0: okay Yeah, Um, so I guess in moving away from the science a bit, so um, do you have any advice that you would give to a young scientist coming up, especially from someone who's maybe moved around a bit more and you've seen a lot of different aspects of science?
1: Um, So I mean, one of or the advice that I always give to any PhD students that I'm supervising uh, would be push your project and a lot of people get a lot of people's Mm -hmm. impact input um but always follow what you think is right and even if that uh goes against goes goes against against what your direct supervisor
0: sure sure so if you couldn't be a scientist what would you be
1: at this point in my career i don't know so previously um before i went uh university study biochemistry and went down this route. Um I actually was considering a career as a singer.
0: Oh right. Oh we haven't had that before. <laughs> We've never had singer before. Oh wow.
1: Well I've always found that it's actually quite quite a lot of scientists that I know that have said, well they consider they or they're very interested in music. Yeah,
0: like a um, creative. But they
1: thought well and they're also very interested in science and well They hope to focus on the science and then keep the music up as a hobby.
0: Sounds like a good way to relax and uh, (laughs) enjoy yourself. Um, Okay, so I think we'll wrap up there. Thank you very much, Rackle. Thank you. You're welcome.